Welcome to Where Hope Grows, a podcast curated to tell the inspiring stories of land stewards, ranchers, and farmers who are on the front lines of the regenerative revolution. Interweaved with wisdom inspired by Mother Nature, these journeys are testaments to how regenerative agriculture can nourish our bodies, rebuild our soil, and restore our future. Hey everyone, this is Taylor Collins, and you are listening to Where Hope Grows. This podcast is made possible by the support of Force of Nature, Rome Ranch, and of course, the grace and beauty of Mother Nature. Oh boy, oh boy. Today, we are bringing you a very special episode in which I'm joined by my co-creator, my heart, my soil, Katie Forrest. For those of you that have met Katie, well, you're well aware she is a complete force of nature who shares an abundant passion for land, health, and connectedness. I'm lucky enough to share my life journey alongside this powerful woman and the experiences we have created are treasures to keep. In this episode, Katie and I reflect on some of our most cherished bison stories, speak about the value of observation, the wisdom of nature, and the capacity for connection. It's a real banger, and I hope you enjoy hearing these tales as much as we've enjoyed living them. This is Where Hope Grows. Anyways, Katie, um, I never really know how to intro you, your title. Sometimes I call you the ranch matriarch. Sometimes I call you the alpha female, apex I, predator. I don't, I don't need a title. Lead cow. Lead cow. Which one of those resonates with your spirit? The, I'm the um, oldest female on the ranch. So the, the ranch matriarch. The ranch matriarch. That's a good one. Okay. Yeah. Katie is for sure the ranch matriarch. Um, so anyways, uh, it's a pleasure talking with you um, in our house. And this is a really special podcast because this is the first time that you and I are going to sit together and tell stories from the ranch and then the lessons that we learned experiencing those stories firsthand. I don't even know how we can start this considering we have so many stories from the ranch that, I mean, how much time do we have? Do we have days worth of podcasts? No, we're going to narrow it down. We're going to start super hot with bison stories today. Mm. Yeah, that's on the agenda. And so these stories are, you know, we live on this ranch. This is our livelihoods. It's it's our love. We are out here full time. It's our house. And so we get to experience some pretty incredible things firsthand, being immersed in Mother Nature, a part of a regenerative ecosystem, and especially raising bison. So we really want to share some of our greatest stories that, you know, I, I hope when we're like in our... 90s that we are sitting on the porch telling these same stories because they bring me so much joy and pain and tears, yeah. tears of joy. But you know, you have to have tears of joy to become a better person because it makes you stronger. That's true. So not only are these are um, some bison stories from the ranch, but they are also the lessons that we learned from these stories valuable lessons, lessons inspired by mother nature, lessons that are, have co-evolved with our landscapes for millennia. And a lot of these lessons are lessons people forgot, but we're going to switch on your epigenetics and remind you that you are connected to this ecosystem, to this planet, to the land, to the soil, to the animals and why that's important. Well, just hang tight. So before we get going, for those of you who are dialing in, listening to this podcast, have no idea. Dialing what, in. 
yeah, on, you know, on their AOL. Um, <laughs> landlines. AOL now is, uh, I think they're at version 100.0. If you've never heard of our ranch, I just want to tell you a little bit about it. So we are Rome Ranch, not the Rome Ranch. Not, not R-O-M-E. We are not a part of, um, or nor inspired by Italy in any capacity. Yeah, that is a different religion. Here on this ranch, we worship soil, living, thriving soil, regenerating soil. That is our our creator and our God here. Not like the Vatican. So if you think that Rome Ranch is R-O-M-E Ranch, you're not alone, but that's a little bit weird, right? And, and, and it's also not the Rome Ranch. Like, hey, do you want to go to the Rome Ranch? It is... Rome Ranch. Do you want to go to Rome Ranch? Okay. If my mom is listening to this. This is a Kathy Collins call Which shout I doubt out. she's listening to this, but mom, it's not the Rome Ranch. It's Rome Ranch. It's way cooler to say it like that. And, um, you know, that's just the first point of clarity. So Rome Ranch is a multi-species regenerative ranch in Fredericksburg, Texas. We celebrate living vibrant ecosystems through regenerating our soils we raise bison turkeys chicken geese ducks pigs oh boy who did we offend and forget the peacocks fallen peacocks the peacocks that are now buried in the soil we will have to have a story on that one yeah yeah um but honestly you know that's a lot of diversity with the animals that we raise but we also have to recognize and celebrate the living organisms in the form of wildlife at this ranch because they're a really important part of our community and our ecosystem and they serve a really important role here in this restorative regenerative um, ranch of ours so big shout out to eastern meadowlarks big shout out to mountain lions scissor tail fly catchers i love those ring tail cats great horned owls bald eagle that's the most patriotic bird that every ranch should have. But, you know, I grew up in Texas. I grew up in this part of Texas. I've been here my whole life and I've only probably seen one or two bald eagles. But we have a resident bald eagle now at our ranch. Yeah, I remember going out to White Oak Pastures and seeing Will Harris's bald eagles and his bald eagle problem. Um, and I was just like, I wish we would have a bald eagle problem. I, I just wish. I wish. And and. We have golden eagles, and I know we're talking about a lot of really cool, badass, apex predator type things, but we also have armadillos. <laughs> and people love the armadillos. Oh, yeah. We, people can be on a tour. We can be looking at bison, and a tiny little armadillo will just go hop, hop, hop. And then suddenly, everybody's like full attention is like, holy shit, an armadillo. I've never seen one of those before. I'm from Minnesota or wherever the fuck. Yeah. And honestly... It, we could have named our ranch Armadillo Ranch because there's that many armadillos here. And they're, they are pretty cool. You have to admit it. And they're odd. They're not the nocturnal type. They like to be out. Yep, yep. Um, okay. So, you know, we have a lot of beating hearts here at the ranch. It's a community and we celebrate that community. The goal out here at Rome Ranch is to restore a degraded ecosystem using animal impact. And we want to share that with... The world. We want to share that with our local community and people in, you know, cities, people in rural areas, other ranchers, other farmers. Please come out, learn more about regenerative agriculture here at the ranch. 
Um, okay, so that's the ranch. And before we get into this episode about bison, let's say why I'm going to ask you, Katie, why are we even raising bison? Why did you choose bison? Why not is really the only response I can give you. Why well, not? That's simply put, why not? But, you know, bison are like the pinnacle of badass livestock animals. Why didn't we start out with, you know, chickens or cows? No offense to those animals. Well, they're a keystone species. So the mere presence of the bison just ignites the ecosystem. You bring the bison on, they start eating and shitting, and instantly you have insects, which in turn brings in the birds. You you know, like it, the, it wakes up the soil. These species are just incredible. Yeah, they are incredible. I, I always think of them as prehistoric animals. You know, they're the last, they're the largest living North American land animal that survived the last ice age, which is crazy. And they're the architects of the most fertile food systems the planet has ever seen. So, I mean, if I need to convince anyone why not to raise bison. Where are the most fertile soils that the planet has ever seen? And all those states that start, start with the letter I. <laughs> Iowa, Iowa, Idaho, Indiana. Illinois. I was more thinking, yeah, like Indiana, Illinois, Iowa. Yeah. Those are really fertile states. And the fertility of those soil systems were deposited by millennia of bison co-evolving with those landscapes. And yes, bison were in central Texas. Bison were all the way from northern parts of Canada all the way into central Mexico, migrating coast to coast in the United States, what is now the United States. And so at our ranch, it had been over 175 years that this keystone species had been removed from the ecosystem. So I think there was a lot of excitement in bringing back that keystone species that co-evolved in this landscape and seeing what would happen. I feel like you should like this just perfectly transitions into the story of the arrowhead. Oh boy. Our first story. Our first story is ready. Okay. Teed up. So here we go. Um, you know, we had been out on the ranch for six months. We were building a lot of infrastructure, investing in fencing. We were doing water lines so we could keep the animals hydrated and just really putting a lot of thought into prepping for having bison out on this ranch. And you know, that whole six month period we were outdoors and I was constantly looking at landscapes because I wanted to find arrowheads and I just couldn't find a damn arrowhead to save my life. And I think there was something there that was, you know, we were talking about this the other day, but it's the art of observation and how detached humans have been and removed from that. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm curious, um, you know, like you went from living in the city to coming on this land why do you think that you couldn't find an arrowhead did you why did you feel like there were arrowheads here in the first place well it's definitely a programming a way that you look at your environment and when you're receptive to that you can you know now in retrospect i can look at land and i can see what's been degraded through human impact you can there's just always signs right and so i guess Right now, I know how to find arrowheads. I can find an arrowhead from 50 yards away, but I had to reconnect with that ability to look at land and to read landscapes, to look at the history of a landscape and how it co-evolved, how it was either degraded or enriched. 
And those sites where there'd be arrowheads, where we find them now, they're always degraded old campsites from native tribes in the area. So I think this act of observation is really key. And it's something that we've atrophied as a species, but it's within all of us. And just like all epigenetics, it can be switched on, but it just takes practice and we should all be able to read landscapes. Agreed. Sorry um, to interrupt. No, that's, that's, that's what's up. Um, okay. So here we are six months, fast forward, no arrowheads. I'm just so bummed. And the bison are being moved to the property. And so we have a chuck driver pulling a semi load, a double decker trailer full of bison. It's our first 30 bison. They're coming from the tall grass prairie nature reserve in Oklahoma. Um, and we're preparing our final steps and I'm, I'm by the gate where we're going to unload these bison. And I'm talking on my cell phone to the truck driver, just ensuring him that he can get to the actual location where he's supposed to unload these animals. And I look down at my feet and right there, bam, staring at me in my face is an arrowhead. (laughs) And what an arrowhead. It was so beautiful. It was so perfect and glorious. And it was just sitting there waiting to be unearthed. And it was waiting for you, waiting for me. And, and what is, I just think that this story is really cool because there's something spiritual about that experience and something about picking up an arrowhead that could be 10,000 years old and reconnecting with the people that once inhabited the land that we now live on, hunting these keystone, large ruminant species for survival, coexisting with them. Um, and we are about to return bison to this property. First time in 175 years. Magical. At that moment, I felt so connected, so grounded, so worthy, so prepared to be a bison rancher. <laughs> That's all you needed was one arrowhead. And suddenly you're like, holy shit, I got this. Yep. It was a, a major confidence booster. And that arrowhead, it's just incredible. It was so sharp and um, so pristine. And, you know, when I thought about it, it just felt like that arrowhead belonged to a Comanche, which would have been just the most badass native tribe in Texas, rolled back the frontier, kicked the white man's ass for many, many years. And I felt like that was the site. And the Spanish. And the Spaniards and the other indigenous tribes of our area. Yeah. They kicked everyone's asses, people. People called the Comanches uh, enemy of the people. Even other tribes called them that. And uh, I felt like that spot where I picked up that arrowhead right where the bison were about to be unloaded. That was the spot where the very last bison on our property was hunted and killed mm. by a Comanche. <laughs> and I picked it up and that was the last breath of a bison on the property. And when I picked it up, we were bringing new fresh life on the property. Isn't that so special? Your imagination is just so fantastic. I feel like that's where Scout gets all of her, her storytelling skills is, is your romanticization of everything. It's quite beautiful. Well, I admire it. Some call it romanticization, but some people just call it bro science. (laughs) Okay. I do both. But that's my story. And it's just so beautiful and so connecting and so grounding. And I still have that arrowhead and it still gives me a lot of power and strength and confidence. Sometimes too much confidence. Mm. I think I think the lesson is going back to the power of observation, just like being so present with where you are. Like, I think. 
I, I sort of envision it like you're standing there kicking at the ground, talking to this 18 wheeler truck driver being like, dude, you can drive down the road. And he's like, I'm, I'm not qualified to be driving down these shitty roads. And you're like kicking the floor and you're like, holy shit, there's an arrowhead. Um, but if you weren't like in that moment at that exact time, the arrowhead just would probably still be sitting there. It would. Underneath two inches of soil or something. And it's like once you find an arrowhead, your capacity for identifying more arrowheads. It's unlocked. It's unlocked. It's unleashed. And that's the beauty. Uh, okay. Well, I kind of ended that story on this idea that uh, we felt really confident and ready to be bison ranchers at that moment in time. But our next story, that's a little bit more tragic. This one we honestly try to repress every time i i i i, I fear even speaking of such things because i feel like i will have nightmares tonight oh boy it's it's for sure a cursed story it's for sure the darkest day of our lives mm, there was one other dark day i know which one <laughs> the one where scout was born no taylor not that our child being was... born was a terrible day but that was the closest you've ever come to death and the closest no, I've I ever did. seen you come to death. Yeah. I was talking about not Bison Vision Quest number one, but Bison Vision Quest number two. Oh, yeah. No, they're not ready for that. No, we'll have to save that one. Yeah, we got to talk about that one later after a couple more um, electroshock therapy sessions. Yeah, I was going to say months of repression. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, okay, this day, this was the first time our bison ever did a vision quest from the property. Which we were not prepared for. It had been about a year and a half of us living out at the ranch, managing these animals, co-creating with them, coexisting, building confidence, building rapport. Still learning yeah. them. Oh, we are not. always still learning. Always. Still learning today. Very much humble. Um, but not so humble this day. So the bison, let's just, where did it all start? It started very, very early in the morning. Okay. Well, let's just back up. Oh, set the stage. So the bison were on our neighbor's property, I recall. Legally. Legally, yeah. I mean, we're leasing their land. And I remember, maybe it was two days before, some of the bison got onto our property. And we were like, well, that was weird. And they were just chilling, you know, like side by side on the, you know, alongst the fence line. And so we were like, oh, well, a baby must have gotten over. It must have been through this gate. That was mistake number one, because they warned us. Yeah. They warned us that they were talented. Mm. Turns out that they had found another escape route that we, we didn't have the art of observation. We didn't have the uh, humbleness to give ourselves the art of observation within this circumstance. Yeah. Uh, so fast forward a couple days. Well, they, they jumped over a cattle guard and... I mean, we were told that bison couldn't jump over cattle guards, or they wouldn't. But let me tell you what. Now that we've been around bison and know their athleticism and their capacity for superhuman feats, they could sneeze and fly over a cattle guard or fart and fly over a cattle guard. They can jump over a six-foot fence from a standing start. So why the hell would they not jump over a cattle guard? Whoever told us that is a silly fool. <laughs> But we are also silly fools for believing, for believing them. them. Yeah. So, okay. So here's, here's the kicker. What happened the night before the bison jumped out? Full moon. 
Full moon. Full moon. So it was a full moon and we were approaching, I think it was in March, around March, April. So the bison mamas were pregnant and ready to start dropping babies within a week or two. So full moon happens and the mamas go. What's the relevance of the full moon? It doesn't. I mean, I mean, I feel like you're talking about it and I think that is important. But for people who don't understand full moons, why would well, a full moon make a bison vision quest? Well, it pulls on all your, I sound like a dumbass. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either. It pulls on all your like fluids and there's it makes babies there. happen. Yeah. There's something there. Animals and humans, remember humans are animals, but um, it's well known that behavior is different during full moon cycles. And, you know, uh, me personally, I can't sleep. When it's full moon, I just know I'm gonna have shitty sleep that night. But it's because just howling. I'm so You're just hyped. up howling all night. Yeah. So, anyways, full moon night. They jumped over the cattle guard, and they went two and a half miles down an easement road, where they uh, jumped over seven more cattle guards. Well, and it wasn't all of them, and that's the weirdest part about this vision quest. It was only half of them. It was only the pregnant cows left. Everybody else stayed. They were like, I'm not sure where you're going, but I'm good here, which is very unusual because bison are a herd species. And when one goes, usually all of them go. But that did not happen in this circumstance. Yeah. So we had 40, uh, 40 pregnant cows leave the property. 40 um, heifers stayed behind. And, you know, we wake up early, just like any other day. We're going to do exercise activities first and foremost. That's like the priority. So Katie's on a run in the woods and I'm just getting ready to go hit the gym. And I get a phone call from an unknown number. I never pick up phone calls from unknown numbers. And I just felt like this was weird. I need to pick it up. And there was an old lady on the phone who somehow had another phone. It was like she was double fisting phone. She had one phone on her left ear and the other phone on her right ear. And she was one's a landline, one's a cell phone for sure. She was old and I, she couldn't, she wasn't talking to me, but I just overheard her other conversation with the phone in her other hand, which she was talking to a deputy. And basically she was telling this officer, yes, I think I, I think I know the people at the end of the road, they raise bison. And, and and I was like, no, ma'am, ma'am, I can hear you. Please communicate with me. And then there was something along the lines where she was like, oh no, they're about to get on the highway. And she was referring to Highway 290, which is a high-speed interstate highway about two and a half miles from our ranch. It's in the middle of, like, the Hill Country Wine Corridor, a lot of tourist activities. It's not a place for bison. Oh, dear God, no. It's the last place for bison. And, oh, my gosh, it was spring break weekend. You remember that? Mm. It's freaking spring break. So, you know, the tourist activity was heightened. Mm-hmm. And um, so I just called Katie. I was like, Katie, where are you? She's like, I'm far away. I was literally... Um, like if you looked at a map, I was at the furthest point that I could have been away. Yeah. And yeah. I sprinted back with all of my mind. I've never been so sweaty and salty. Wow. She crushed it. She did an, uh, one huge interval to get back here. But in the meantime, I just thought like, it's all good. I got this. Mama bears away. Dad <laughs> bears going to handle this situation, which was so ridiculous. Yeah, I feel like you went temporarily insane. So Taylor hops in his mule, grabs two bags of alfalfa treats and drives to where um, bas- like basically the highway 290. Right. And 
thankfully, um, one of our, one of the people that lives down there, I guess you would call him a neighbor. He lives pretty far away, but he somehow the bison wandered into one of his paddocks and he closed the gate. So they were, there were 40 bison completely safe, completely detained in a four acre paddock. It was, it just couldn't have been a better circumstance considering our bison had just left our property. So Taylor strolls over there confidently in our blue mule and he calls me and he's like, oh, circumstances are great. They're in this four acre paddock. Why don't you head on down? Grab my truck. So I'm like sprinting down in the truck and I pull as I'm pulling around the corner. I see Taylor open the gate to the four acre paddock casually opens the alfalfa bag and goes, come on girls, as if those girls were going to casually follow him home down the easement road for two and a half miles. As you can imagine, it didn't go as well as um, he wanted it to. And so then he started, and so... So instead of following him, they all fucking scatter. Um, Some are headed towards the river. Some are headed towards the highway. And Taylor's looking at me and starts screaming like, block them, block them, honk at them. And so I'm like, what the fuck? That's not going to do shit. And so he's like, do it. So I start honking and Beyonce, our lead cow, looks at me like, what the fuck are you honking at me for? She was pissed. She like looked at me like, you gotta be kidding. (laughs) Uh, um oh God. yeah that was good this was the darkest moment of my life it's I, still listen, like I, burned in my brain watching you drive down that ga- gate yeah. and just opening and just letting them free again that was like an out-of-body experience mm-hmm. like i feel like i separated myself um from my actual body and i you know that arrowhead that i found a year and a half before that really just gave me this false sense of confidence that was shattered and it honestly hurt my feelings because it's like come on girls you know me we give you a good life we got fresh pasture we got these treats diversity you got alfalfa cubes you guys love that and why are you running away from me what did i do um definitely was a hurt feelings moment right because why would they even leave the property the the grass was definitely not greener on the other side and Regardless, we had to get them back home. And so how did we get them back home? This was like a feat of superhuman strength. This was like the construction of the Hoover Dam effort. Well, after we somehow got them back into that four acre paddock, I think what happened was there was some like dude on the river blocking them from going up to the highway that kind of like pushed them back and we were like doing like double mules swooping in and out, basically hurting them, which doesn't happen for bison because what's the, what's the saying bison? Oh yeah. The old timers say you can't convince a bison to do anything it doesn't want to do. Well, we convinced them to get back into the four acre paddock and we shut that shit down and we just thought it was us. Yeah. So while we finally got them back in there, which took hours, um, we built this two and a half mile long fence. You know, like we were like, holy shit, what do we do? Like, I can't call my mom. My mom's not going to be building a fence with me. Like, wh- who do we call? Yeah, we called friends. Uh, we called Robbie, Kirk, Garrett, 
Country Boys, Coy and Colton. Oh yeah, those guys were those were the winners. Eight v- City Boys. Yeah, they were like VIP. Yeah, MVPs. And we just built the two and a half mile electric fence, and it was just for show. And we just created an alley uh, to get the bison down the road. And then I was in the front with the mule, fulfilling my vision of how I thought the day was going to go. Come on, girls! Like, Come on, girls! <laughs> and dropping cubes and. You know, Beyonce, our lead cow, was following and everyone else followed her. But it took forever. It was like, um, you know, it was like a 14 hour day. And the worst part of it was it was hot. It was like 90 degrees and we didn't have any water. We didn't have any snacks. So we went into deep ketosis, which (laughs) was not intentional and it was tolerable. But the thing that was the worst that I'll never forget was how thirsty we were. Yeah. And the country boys that we invited out, God bless their soul. They they had a cooler and they knew we were all suffering. And um, they're like, don't worry, guys, we got we got hydration for everyone. So we're like, fuck, yeah, get in that cooler. Guess what's in the cooler? Keystone Light. Oh, my God. I Taylor's am, favorite. I am not drinking Keystone Light. Maybe if I'm about to die, but I wasn't about to die. And so I just everyone opted to be dehydrated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we were. Dry mouth central. It was horrible. I had, I just remember I had like salt caked all over my body. It was hard ass work because yeah. I drove the mule. You actually. I was running between ran. fence posts to, to, to slam them in. Yeah, that was crazy. That I was, had my running shoes on. That was insane. That was truly a miracle that we got those bison back that day. Yeah. Um, but somehow, Especially when they got stuck over on Willie's property. Yeah, Willie. Will, so we have a neighbor to protect his identity. We'll call him Billy. 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 <laughs> Billy Feister <laughs> and um, Billy Feister is in his 80s and his property is like the last one to get back to ours and the bison are hanging out there. He, you know, irrigates and fertilizes his yard. So the bison are definitely happy to be there. They don't want to keep moving. And Billy Feister comes outside <laughs> like, you know, empowering the spirit of Moses, parting the Red Sea. He just is trying to flex on these bison who have no idea what he is. Yeah. It was the opposite of low stressman stress stockmanship. Yeah. He was hooting and hollering. He was waving his arms in the air. He was pump faking them. He was like, Oh man. He's lucky he didn't die that day. Oh no. I was certain he was going to die. I kept yelling at his, his wife, like Glenda, get Will Billy out of here. He's going to get charged by a bison. Uh huh. And she kept trying to talk some sense into him, but I think he just didn't hear her to be honest. Oh yeah. Oh uh, no. She was like crying. And, um, I think she was, working she was like, on I'm his... going to watch him. My husband die today. Yeah. She was working on his obituary as he was <laughs> out there helping us quote unquote, helping us get the bison back in. And, um, but you know, he lived another day. He goes strong till this day. Um, he just possessed the spirit of the Comanche Indians that day. Mm, he must have had an arrowhead. He probably had an arrowhead too. But we got the bison back and, you know, happy ending of that story. No one was injured. We were very dehydrated, but the bison were safe. They had babies just a couple weeks later. And I think we learned a lot during that experience. And one of the things that we learned was, one of the things that I learned was don't be overconfident. And it was a reality check that we're not in charge. And humans like to think that we're in charge. We like to separate ourselves from natural ecosystems and separate ourselves from our livestock, but they are our co-creators. They have minds of their own, especially bison. And 
as nature prevails, it's going to do what nature wants. And in many circumstances like this, we are completely out of control. Well, and another lesson, I guess you could say would be, you know, just like, I think since then we've been so much more in touch with like the moon cycles and especially around the times when we're expecting them to start dropping babies, you know, like we've been so much more cautious as to where we put them during certain times of, you know, birthing season, essentially, um, whether it's, you know, more lush grass or a more, uh, maternity wards. Mater- yes, we put them in maternity wards. That's what I was getting at. <laughs> Katie's the doula. She's right. out there coaching mm-hmm. them. Yeah. Um, this kind of reminds me of another story, which we haven't even talked about this one yet. But talking about babies, you know, this whole podcast of stories about bison is just flowing really nicely. So I'm going to keep going with this flow. Last year... Um, we welcomed our second child into the world. Her name is Poppy Wren Bear Forest Collins. No, there's no bear in it. That's Scout's name. Oh my gosh. I don't even know my Taylor doesn't even know. There's too many names (laughs) in there. Anyways, her name is Poppy Wren Forest Collins and she's just the perfect specimen. We love her so much. She's the best baby on the planet. And the thing that I was going to tell you about Wren, two things. One... Um, her first name is Poppy, which we named after our favorite bison that's ever roamed this ranch, which is really special. She died, but we wanted to honor her memory by naming her after our daughter. We felt like her spirit went into our newborn daughter. So it was appropriate to give her that name. But what I really wanted to say was that Katie was so in touch with our ecosystem and the stars and the moon and the seasons that she got pregnant when all the other bison cows got pregnant and Mm. human and bison share the exact same gestation, which is how many, how many weeks? 40. I know you know that. 40 for some. Yeah. So pretty much what happened was Katie gave birth to Poppy Wren at the exact same damn time that the bison were giving birth to 40 new animals last, last year mm-hmm. in the middle of May, which how cool is that? That wasn't planned. There was no thought there. There was no intention there. It just happened. Subconscious. But that's how in, in tune we were to our environment. It's just so special because mother nature provides that gift of fertility at a very particular time for bison. And it's all about raising babies, nursing babies in the spring when we have our most nutrient dense lush grasses with a lot of biodiversity to give really nutrient dense milk to the calf. And Katie picked up on that. What the freak? Did you plan that? Obviously. Did you seduce me whenever the bison were breeding? (laughs) (laughs) Or did you seduce me? If you enjoy listening to this podcast, please consider supporting us by heading over to forceofnature.com and voting with your dollars for a regenerative revolution. Force of Nature is on a mission to sell the best meat on the planet for the planet. This means that you can order regeneratively sourced meats and have it delivered to your doorstep anywhere in the continental United States. My favorite product from Force of Nature is the regeneratively sourced grass-fed bison ribeye. Duh. We grill it or pan sear it or heck, even eat it raw a few times every week. 
and the nourishment and the flavor are completely unmatched. Do yourself a favor, fill up your freezer with 100% grass-fed, free-range, regeneratively sourced meat that heals our land, nourishes our body, and enriches the lives of the animals on which we depend. That's forceofnature.com. And now, back to our show. Okay, so that's the the bison baby story. The the next story that we're going to tell you guys is about a bison bull named Cecil. And so before I talk to you about Cecil, it's really important to know that, you know, out at Rome Ranch, bison earn their names if they fall into one of two categories. And those categories are bison that will kick your ass for no reason. There's always a reason. 20 feet up in the air. That's true. There's always a reason, but we might not ever really understand that. Um, so bison that will kick your ass, they get names because you have to say, Oh shit, here comes charge attack. <laughs> we do have, we had a bison named charge attack and she earned that name. Um, but there's another category of naming bison and that is lovers, which there are far fewer lovers than there are haters in the bison kingdom. And so this, I don't know. We there, I mean, like ultimately just cause they don't all have names out there. They're, they're lovers. They don't attack us. They're just chilling. They're pretty neutral. They're neutral. But I mean, if it's neutral, then it's positive. Yeah. But would in you, the bison world, but would you get out of the mule and walk 20 feet into the middle of all these? No, neutral beings. Neutral bison. <laughs> That's a good point. No. And it's because they're demeanor changes every day uh depending on you know what their hormones are doing like the other day just like the other day when 1617 was like charged us and we were like what the fuck who are you never seen you before okay so this this bison (laughs) cecil fell into the category of a lover though he was such a gentle lover a gentle giant he was a giant yeah why don't you talk about cecil and why he came out to the ranch and what was special about him well Cecil was brought out to the ranch to be a part of our breeding bull program. He came when he was four um, and we bought him from a guy named Cecil, named after Cecil. And Cecil had lived on this guy's property for four years within, I, I mean, I would probably say he had like a hundred square feet space that he lived in for his entire life. And he was hand fed, you know, all types of cake, no consideration of his diet or his, I mean, they loved him. Not birthday cake to specify. Not birthday cake. Not everyone's a rancher. Cake is like treaties. Yeah. And it's usually really gross. It's like highly processed, refined grains. It's like giving Twinkies to a bison. It's like the byproduct of the impossible burger. Maybe it is the Impossible Burger. I think the Impossible Burger might taste like shit, and the bison actually like these, so. Oh, that's true. That's and, why I said Twinkies. And probably kill them. I don't know if Twinkies taste good. Okay. Anywho, where were <laughs> they? Loved so Cecil was in so this Cecil small area. Was in this... Some might envision a feedlot, which isn't very far off. Probably not. Yeah, like he had never stood on grass there. So, um, Cecil's brought in a single animal trailer, um, to our property and he's backed into a pasture with all the other animals. And we might've left him in there for like an hour so they could sniff around, but they weren't leaving the trailer side. So we were finally like, we got to just rip the bandaid off. Yeah. And there, and these are 80 cows, um, which a cow is a breeding female and it's getting close to July 4th. And which yes, is when the rut season starts. Exactly. July 4th is when the bison start 
breeding. And um, these ladies are really in the mood. <laughs> okay, so Cecil, poor fellow, he's like about to experience every teenage bison boy's wildest fantasy, <laughs> which is to be let out in a herd of 80 females that want to get pregnant as fast as possible. It's like if T-Pain was a bison. Mm, great comparison. <laughs> T-Pain has been out to the range. And T-Pain did admit when he was here that the ratio of males to females in Atlanta is like... 1 to 12. Yeah, 1 to 12. So he was really impressed with Cecil being like 1 to 80. Yeah, he was really, really, really impressed. So the, we we haven't even described how beautiful Cecil was. So Cecil was a um, Texas. He came from the Texas Goodnight herd, um, and so his genetics were just far superior than anything you can imagine. You know, basically like picture like some beautiful iconic bison in your head, and it's Cecil, like huge, huge stature. So beautiful, so handsome, so manly. So manly. He just had such a beautiful beard. You just wanted to braid it and such a lovely coat, such a humongous head. Mm -hmm. And he was a big bull and he, he, we opened up the trailer and these women went wild. I mean, it was sexual harassment 101. They basically... He got surrounded by women, bison. Every single one of them was licking him at the same time in all different parts of his body. All, I mean, that's an exaggeration. Obviously, 80 bison can't. Well, they, literally. Were, all take, they were taking turns, but probably 20 at a time. Yeah. And I mean, it, it was like you couldn't even find him. It was just like a brown circle running around in unison around this paddock. Yeah, he hated it. He had no idea what was happening. They were dry humping him. They he were, was panting, they were rubbing on him and poor Cecil. He didn't know what the hell was going on. He'd never been on grass and he was in a very lush, beautiful, freshly irrigated, diverse pasture far from his home and getting uh, seduced would be maybe the politest way to say it. Yeah, it sounds better than harassment. Yeah. Forced seduction, inescapable seduction. And we thought Cecil might die that day. Because it was hot and he was running around for hours trying to get away from these female cows. And somehow he he lived. Thank God he lived because he was such a beautiful, important part of this ranch for so long. Yeah. And so Cecil bred for three seasons out here. And uh, you can see which animals he were his, you know. Absolutely. He became our dominant breeding bull. He became our sire. And I mean, I'm saying like people come out to the ranch like, well, how do you prevent a two year old male or a three year old male from from breeding his mom? And it's like, you see that boy over there? That's Cecil. If uh, a two year old or three year old even looks at a cow who's in the rut, Cecil will throw that animal about eight feet in the air. Yeah, Cecil was amazing. And, and he definitely was like the star of the show during all tours and events that we've had. I mean, like he's he was just so incredibly beautiful and so friendly. He would always be like one of the first ones that came up to the mule. He would scratch on the mule. He would dig around in the back, seeing if we had any alfalfa back there. He's been known to stick his head in a couple mules, which was awfully terrifying. Yeah. Anytime a photographer or video 
videographer would come out to the ranch. Is it videographer or video photographer? Videographer. That well, those people would just pretty much focus on Cecil the whole time because he was that beautiful. And, you know, Cecil's demise, he had a good run here. He got the job done, bred a lot of cows. Um, but Cecil got so big at the end, you know, he was probably like getting closer to seven, eight years old. He was our biggest bison. He was weighing about 1800 pounds and he was just too big and, and too old. And he would, he started scratching his head on fences and gates and he had so much power that he would explode chains, explode latches. I mean, we're talking about break metal. And it was only a fraction of his energy. It was an accident. Yeah. I mean, he he wouldn't even mean to. And then obviously you can't have an f- open gate here at the ranch. You just heard one of the Vision Quest stories. So Vision Quests are not something that we um, we have here on the ranch anymore. It is like a zero tolerance rule. Yep. And, you know, it's, it's like a... It's like uh, Pavlov's dog's dog experiment in psychology 101. It's like the positive reward of him opening the gate when he's not supposed to. Well, he eventually goes to the other side and gets the, the fresh, fresh grass. grass. And so it becomes this this pattern, this repeatable behavior where he starts scratching his heads on other gates and we just can't contain the bison. So um, that animal, it comes down to the point where we have to field harvest that animal. And yeah. So, so let's talk about Cecil's last day. Mm, I don't know why I feel really sad talking about it instantly. It's weird. That's um, okay. I feel sad too. <laughs> Cecil was harvested at a public field harvest that we had. And we had to actually separate him out. We had to trick him into going into a separate paddock than the rest of the herd, maybe a couple hours before everybody got here because Cecil being the alpha male um, breeding bull, killing him um, with the other breeding bulls around would have been um, traumatizing for our guests to witness. So, yeah, the, the term bullying, that's a real thing. In the animal kingdom, because the dominant bull, once that bull shows weakness, the other bulls will take the opportunity instantly to take shots at it. Yeah. They want to reestablish the pecking order. They want to be the alpha. Yeah. And so it's, it's very gory, but just envision, you know, horns going into an animal's torso, that flipping him animal. Yeah. Getting thrown into the air. And obviously that animal's gone already. This sentience is lost, but um, that's why we have to separate the bulls when we do this field harvest on another bull. Um, but the beauty of the field harvest is this, that we gathered with our community. We invited friends of the ranch, friends that had relationships and rapport with Cecil. And we sent him off on a, a hero's journey onto the, the next phase of his life, which through his positive animal impact and his participation in our ecosystem, he created a net positive return. So through Cecil's presence here, we grow more grass now. We have more biodiversity. We have better rainfall infiltration. We captured atmospheric carbon and cycled it through the soil. He's really important. He accomplished that as a keystone species. And his next journey in life was to feed other people. And... There's no better way for an animal to be harvested than in the field. And so 
James, our ranch hand, our bison wrangler, he went out to the field with a 30-06, and he shot Cecil in the cerebral cortex while about 40 people watched from 100 yards away. And by the time... It, it was, was so weird. Cecil was just so calm, so still. I mean, usually when you're in a paddock with Cecil, he's coming up to the mule and sniffing around being like, where's my treats? What are we doing? But he didn't. He was just straight up standing like 50 yards away, eating grass, staring at us. I believe he knew. And I believe he was prepared and he made peace with that. And by the time the gunshot was heard, Cecil was long gone. So think about the brain. Um, what you do is you you take the shot, you aim with, you make an X from one horn to the opposite eye, do that with the other horn, and then where those lines intersect, that's where the shot is to be placed. By the time that we heard that shot, Cecil was gone, sentience lost, but the computer had been shut off, but the engine was still running, so his heart was still beating. And we took that time for every single person to go up to Cecil Um and touch Cecil and thank Cecil and show deep reverence and appreciation. And we even got to the point where we bled Cecil out in that field through cutting its, um, his jugular. And when everyone, when we did that, people would actually go up to Cecil and catch blood and taste the blood of that animal. Didn't you even do that? Mm-hmm. Which I might've been the first time Katie's ever done that. Yeah. But it was just... I had to. felt so appropriate. Yeah. It was a It felt a like it was disrespectful for me not to. Yeah. It was consuming his last life force and that energy and thanking him for that gift and thanking him for being a part of our ecosystem and enriching our environment and being a part of our lives. And then honoring that animal through every single person there working together as a community to break him down and to share that meat, divide it, and then feed our families, feed our friends give our community the nourishment that they need to do the things they love to do in the, in life to pursue their passions, to pursue their purposes. Um, but be reminded that it was a gift from Cecil. And so if you're not out there living your best life and doing the things that drive you and provide you purpose, you're not honoring these animals that sacrifice their life to sustain your existence. I've been giving a lot of thought to, um, I know that you want, crazy horns to die we need her to go because she hasn't had a baby in four years yeah and she's fucking nuts and we can't get her through the working pin shoot anyway i've been giving a lot of thought to it and every time i see her i feel like i should be the one to do it whoa what do you mean pull the trigger yeah that would be the first time katie ever did anything like that killed anything at all maybe even shot a high-powered rifle i have shot a high-powered rifle at a target i don't know this is a big rifle we use a 30 out six. Is that the one out. that like gives you a black eye? Oh yeah. Anyway, I feel like I'm going to cry even thinking about it. But every time I see her, I'm like, I feel like it has to be me. That would be the ultimate send off. That would be really powerful. I'd love to see that, but only if you're ready. I'm never ready. And I don't, I'm not ready for y'all to do it. Yeah. Katie always asks us to pick a different animal than crazy horns on the field harvest. But anyways, I digress. The thing about Cecil, which is really cool and I'm really excited about, is we took one of Cecil's hams, one of his rear legs, and we took it to a local um, charcuterie processor, and they're making cacciatore, 
with Cecil, which is like a traditional Italian cured salami. And it's going to be really special. It's going to really honor that animal, honor our ecosystem, have sub ingredients and seasonings that are relevant to our area of Texas. And that salami will be shelf stable and it can last over a hundred years. And so, you know, our grandchildren could even eat some of Cecil. Our great grandchildren could. Isn't that kind of like a, a cool family heirloom? Yeah. Like we should ration it to only have a certain amount per year to make sure that our grandchildren will be able, our grandchildren will be able to consume it. Yeah. Well, that's just that's the story of Cecil and the story of the cycle of life. Which it takes life to sustain life. There is no life without death. And if you think that there is no life without death, then you're lying to yourself. Well, there's quite a bit of life out there from Cecil, whether it be in the form of a bison or in the form of new microbiology. That's true. Well, I hope Cecil is in heaven right now, grazing on lush perennial grasses. (laughs) All the Indian grass, big blue stem, all the switchgrass. That he can possibly stuff in his big belly. I think he was a muley fan. He was for sure a muley eater. Mm-hmm. Anyways, RIP. Okay, moving on to the, the final story here, which is, you know, a lot of people are curious. Well, how do you guys move your bison? How do you guys contain your bison? And, you know, it's something that we, we talk about and demonstrate every tour, but we, we keep them behind electrical fence. So we have really good perimeter fencing which is a hard fence, but we rotate the animals during the growing season, sometimes multiple times a day. We do that by building temporary electric paddocks with a poly line, which is like, it's like a a fabric line with metal filaments interlaced. And then you have a solar energizer that harvests the power of the sun and creates an electrical current that makes that fence hot. Which is what we built the two and a half mile long um, fence back to our ranch during the vision quest. Yeah. So it's easy to get up, easy to take down. It's amazing. It gives you so much creativity with your grazing and allows us to build over a hundred paddocks on this ranch. Um, But the downside of the electrical fence is that it's electric. Yeah. And uh, it's going to be inevitable. It's not a matter of how many times or when. Actually, no. It is, actually. It is exactly (laughs) that. And humans will get shocked and electrocuted. And the way that it works here is that we have a bison strength energizer. So we're kicking out about 12,000 volts. And volts are what makes electricity hurt. Okay? It's like the sting. It's the punch. Um, But what's more important than that and underrated is the joules of the energizer. And the joules are how far that electrical voltage is pushed into your body. And we have the joule strength that's pretty similar to one of those uh, cardiac resuscitator units that you put on a a human being to jumpstart their heart. So this is no joke. We're containing Ice Age creatures. And let's be honest, this is just a psychological fence. They could jump over it. Bison can jump over a six-foot fence from a standing start. Did you know that? They're like super athletes. I did know that. And I just feel like just to emphasize that point, bison are the second fastest land animals 
native land animals in North America. The first being the antelope. The antelope, the pronghorn, which it's funny. We ask people about this at the ranch all the time. We get the best answers. I mean, everything is just like, um, I think my favorite, which we get a lot of times is the cheetah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, technically the cheetah is faster than a bison, but it's not native to North America. No. Um, But other really good classics are someone one time raised their hand and said a Great Dane. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which yeah they're fucking fast but again not so sure that's a, a native wild animal we've gotten people that have said rabbit good guess good guess pretty fast excellent guess someone has said a horse before a lot of people say horses i mean or, i mean uh, that's a good guess yeah and there really was a native ice age horse in north america but those have been extinct so it's the bison people Anyways, I kind of digress, but the electrical fence, I think we all have memories of getting electrocuted to the point at which we have emotional scarring and, 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 and have completely lost, um, faith and trust in each other. Honestly, you know, like I feel like you going back to this idea of maybe you're a little overconfident, just kind of period in regards to ranch manly things but like the electric fence is definitely an overconfidence thing that you um have displayed over the over the years you know of course i know how to handle electricity i'm an, i'm basically an electrician i'm a rancher and well okay maybe the moral of the story is always assume that the electric fence is on for sure but you <laughs> even to this day i feel like i can be like is the electric fence on and you're like no and I'm like, I have, I've, I literally have no confidence in that at all. Like I'm going to have to go get the electric, what are they called? The jewel reader? The voltmeter. The voltmeter. Yeah, like I'm not even going to trust you anymore because you've shocked the shit out of me so many times with your lack of, uh, knowledge on the, the electric fence. Yeah. I've dropped the electric fence on Katie's head before. N- my neck. On her neck. Which Multiple times in a row. I always felt like Katie acted a little different after that. like you know how people in the 40s and 50s used to have electroshock therapy to um deal with emotional trauma i don't have emotional trauma i know but you got shocked in your spinal cord slash brain slash central nervous system multiple times so now i'm kinder yeah but sometimes you kind of just like look and um, spellbound yeah you're spellbound I don't know if that's because you're tired because we have two kids in a ranch or if you're just that's electrical fence shock. Maybe both. Um, yeah. Who knows? But my favorite electrical fence story really quick was we had this one turkey harvest for Thanksgiving and we're like doing this big group kickoff powwow. Get everyone hyped. Welcome them to the ranch. Talk to them about regenerative agriculture before we start harvesting these turkeys together. And we have this one gentleman who's present who is a... Um, like a retired NFL football player, a linebacker. I mean, he's for sure the, like the alpha male there. He's like the Cecil of the guest list. Dude is fucking jacked. And his kid is just kind of like wandering off, doing his own little thing. His toddler, his three-year-old. His three-year-old. Not kid. And this child comes screaming back to the group of adults and I mean, there was a moment where I thought he might have got bit by a, a snake a or something, snake. but he was like uh, incoherent. Like he was just beyond upset. 
Yeah, he was very injured. And, you know, his dad is super tough, you know, just kind of takes the approach of like, uh, boys will be boys. They got to learn the hard way. He's just overreacting. Man up. That was probably just uh, a bee sting. <laughs> probably fell on a sticker bar. Yeah. All right. Well, let's stay focused. And so we, we kind of resume this this introductory talk to the group again. And I'm watching this child from the corner of my eye. And probably after like five minutes of hysterical crying, he gathers the courage to stop crying. And he wanders off and I'm watching him. And he walks up to the electrical fence and grabs it. And this was at the origin point, too. I remember it was literally right where the box started. So it was if it was 40,000 joules or whatever the hell elsewhere, it had to have been nuts right there. Yeah, he was drinking from the um, from the fire hydrant of mm-hmm. electricity. Yeah, he but I mean, what the freak he twice in a row. What is wrong with little boys? I think they're really just inherently the most stupidest. I don't know how they survive, but we have two little girls and they would never do that. But, you know, me and my brothers did a lot of stuff like that. And holy moly, I just sympathize for parents of boys because that's got to be the hardest damn job ever. Anyways, this kid got lit up. His dad thought he got stung by another bee. And (laughs) (laughs) we just... Made sure they signed the liability waiver, and um, that's why those are in place. Yeah, and now we don't turn the electricity on when people are here. Yeah. It's just off. So so feel free to touch a fence. We're fence-friendly now, except for when the bison are grazing. And those are our stories for this first lovely session. Oh, there's just so many more to tell. I know. I was just barely scratching the surface. If you like these story time sessions... Let us know. And, um, you know, we have some other topics, some other themes that we're going to riff on. But if you guys have any ideas or, you know, maybe we'll even do a question and answer session next time. So send your questions our way. You know, you can find us at Rome Ranch on Instagram or at Force of Nature Meets on Instagram. And um, we're very receptive, responsive and want to hear from you. Unless you have something ugly to say. Yeah, then I don't care. Yeah. Then Then you you can beat it. Beat it. You can just come pet some of our bison. <laughs> Touch the electric fence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Turn but, it on for you. But, you know, truly kind of a, a parting message that connects a lot of these stories together. You know, we talked a lot about observation and using your senses. It's just a reminder that we are all born from the soil. The soil is the greatest connector. It's the destination and the source of all life. You know, the soil can... Um, can turn sick people to healthy, healthy people to sick. It's this amazing conduit for life. And we're from the soil. You, me, Katie, we're all carbon-based beings. And so we are deeply connected to it. And, you know, I guess I think about, you know, like as a child, you're connected to your mother at a very early age. You're, you know, our little infant girl is always looking at Katie observing her body language, looking at her eyes, looking at her mouth. And I guarantee you she knows when Katie's stressed. I guarantee you she knows when Katie's happy. And it's just a capacity, a connection that we have to our moms. And we have that same capacity for connection to our land. Again, that's that's big mama. 
But I think, yeah, but I think the thing is, is like the difference there is like the baby is looking at the mom because it, it relies upon the mom for survival. Like, and, and we have forgotten that our survival relies upon our observation of the land. Mm, that's beautiful. God, I love it when Katie drops this knowledge. Oh, genius. But it's true. And so that ability to reconnect and to observe and to learn and to read mother nature, to read land, to read soil, that's within us. That's within all of us. It's deeply encoded in our genetics. And so we need to flip on those epigenetics and we need to reform that connection because it's the source and the destination for all life. All right, people. The end. The end. We will talk to you next time. Bye. Farewell. Is it really ever the end or is it truly the beginning? We hope that you enjoyed this podcast as much as we did creating it. Special thanks to my lovely wife, Katie Forrest, who is soon to be Katie Forrest Collins. And special thanks to Force of Nature Meets. Force of Nature is the catalyst who brought this podcast to life and is supporting it. And we hope that if the spirit of this podcast and the underlying message resonates with you, that you can head over to forceofnaturemeets.com and support them back. Um, you can find more about the ranch at Rome Ranch on Instagram. We're also found at www.romeranch.com. And uh, until next time, this is not the end. This is a new beginning.